Hello, folks. Welcome to Inclusive Collective, where we share stories and learnings of inclusive people, organizations, and innovation. I am your co-host, Nadia Butt. I'm an organizational development and belonging strategist. And as always, every week, I am joined by my esteemed colleague, Rob Hadley, a people and culture strategist specializing in DE&I and people analytics. Rob, do you know why I have a little bit more pep in my step this week? What is going on, Nadia? I did you hear that John Stewart is coming back to the Daily Show on Monday nights? <laughs> I was wondering how you I was wondering how you're feeling about it. Oh, I, I you excited? Ecstatic is like not even the right it is so this was announced last week for those folks that don't know he'll return as a part-time guest starting on February 12th. Um I it, this is huge for me. I really miss I really love Trevor Noah as well, but just to know that John's coming back this year once a week, I I'm really excited about his his reflections on uh, the political landscape. That's, you know, po- political and cultural landscape <laughs> that's yeah. going down right now. Yeah, I'm kind of sad. I really liked his podcast and his Apple show, which yes. I know that I'm in the very, I'm in the, the, the very small minority on that. Uh, yeah. I think that people didn't like it because it was a little too serious. Uh, and, well, and Apple didn't want him to come back either. They had Right, well, because right? he was going to talk about things that, uh, like things like uh, that were happening in China that yeah. uh, they weren't so excited about. So yeah, I just didn't know how you felt about it in terms of like everyone's kind of soured on everyone at this point. Right? Like no one's, no one, no one's escaped it. I know, I you know my spouse Juliana is kind of lukewarm on John Stewart. He's oh. he was very uh, lab leak China guy like the, during the during the pandemic. Oh, and was, that was he? Like, that was problematic. I for don't her. think I knew that yeah oh, he's very lably okay. so that 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 got to her but i mean it's uh yeah i'm very excited to have him doing election coverage for sure oh yeah for sure awesome well, Rob, what's going on this week well, let's talk about our show our little show here mm-hmm. right so this week on inclusive collective we'll be talking to executive search firm co-founders farad ali and christian Heyman about inclusive networking we'll also discuss wayfair's recent layoffs and jp morgan's jamie diamond's take on dei going forward and later nadia is going to uh enthrall us with a bunch of rants she's got she's just gonna rant it's gonna be a rant of palooza uh, and i gotta rave myself but uh but first let's go ahead and get started with our what we call uh, lovingly the deets around here all right nadia our first story jamie diamond the head as you know of jp morgan chase addressed a female quotient forum in davos at the world economic forum have you been to davos nadia You've been to, I, have you been to the I World Economic not. Forum? I have not. Have you? I have not been on a panel there. I, I, I keep expecting for the invite and it hasn't shown up. But uh, Mr. Diamond said that little would change with regard to the bank's DEI efforts. So uh, he said in these remarks that uh, despite some of the ridiculous anti DEI groups coming at them, that they would stay the course. Here's something that I didn't like, Nadia. He said he started by saying that he was a red blooded, patriotic, unwoke, capitalistic CEO. In an effort to, I guess, gain street cred from the Davos crowd. As I heard that, I was like, wait, so woke is apparently not patriotic and not red-blooded, whatever that means, not capitalist. Like, I thought it was just silly. Then I thought about the group that he was speaking to, and he was, and it really was probably uh, just trying to show his bona fides in terms of uh, like how cool unlikely, he was. yeah, how cool yeah. he was not to be uh, in the woke crowd. But I did appreciate, I really appreciate that he went on to say that 
uh, some programs with regard to DEI work, and that some don't. They need to be evaluated based on effectiveness, like any business initiative. I uh, said that your heart can be in the right place, but without execution, you're going to fail. He also talked about disaggregating data, which was uh, music to my ears, saying don't lump it all together, show what's happening at each level, and problem solve it based on the data that you have. So this also follows another bit of research that I saw this week from the Littler Report. Uh, I know I have no idea what that is, but um, saying that 91% of C-suite <laughs> yeah. executives said that the Supreme Court's decision on affirmative action uh, has not caused any change in their DEI efforts or initiatives. Nadia, okay, Jamie Diamond, that's you on a board? lot there. Yeah, no. Uh, well, yes and no. So <laughs> I'll, I'll just my reaction is I'll just say that role modeling is a big piece of leadership. Like, isn't it funny that um, how like a white male with tremendous amounts of corporate power can say, you know, can go to Davos and say this and make headline news. Meanwhile, like women CEOs or BIPOC CEOs have been saying this for years and like silence, right? Like nothing. So I'll take it because, you know, great Jamie Dimon, you're on the right side of history. You're doing insane, the right things. Like these are the behaviors that we like to see as leaders. But I'll just give you like one clap. One clap. <laughs> one clap. I like it. Yeah, I would, I, I would agree with that take. And, uh, and, you know, one final point for me on that is that Jamie Dimon isn't saying that we're sticking with DEI because he's some amazing leader. He's saying it because he's the leader of a global workforce. Right. Right. Yeah. And so not engaging in DEI would put his bank at a disadvantage. Yes. Right. And so maybe he is a great leader because he's smart enough to figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> Right, which a lot of a lot of That's folks true. aren't. Yeah, um, sure. And you know, and and so to me, it's like he he doesn't have a choice. He's leading a global firm in twenty twenty four. Right. That's a great point. What do you got for me, Nadia? Well, in other news, last week Wayfair, the online furniture retailer, slashed thirteen percent of its global workforce weeks after Naraj Shah, the CEO, warned employees that <laughs> quote laziness isn't rewarded. End quote. So according to this Forbes article, Wayshare shares dropped 23% in the past month, then jumped 13.9% following the early morning layoffs announcement. Mm. And then also back in late December, Shah sent a year-end message to employees where he wrote, quote, working long hours, being responsive, blended work and life is not anything to shy away from. There is not a lot of history of laziness being reported with success. Mm. End quote. Rob. Your reactions, if any. So it's interesting you brought up John Stewart and Trevor Noah. I was listening to Mark Cuban, yes. uh, our friend Mark Cuban, friend of the yeah. podcast, uh, friend of the pod. on the Trevor Noah <laughs> podcast, and yep. and he said that the difference between a very like a normal, very successful person and a billionaire is just luck, right? And mm -hmm. and I think that this episode really proves his point, right? In the memo that you're referring to uh, from the CEO of Wayfair, there's so many non sequiturs in the memo. He equates remote work with laziness. He said there's not a history of laziness equating to success. Yes, there is, Nadia. It's called wealthy people, right? Like, yeah. It's like kids that inherit <laughs> <Really>? money. <laughs> right. Right? Like Generational uh, <laughs> wealth. <laughs> yeah. That's a long history, right? Yeah. Um, he said that the, comp you know, the company said they fundamentally believe that the best work is done in person. They did not cite any evidence. He said the company went overboard in hiring during COVID. Whoops, whose fault is that, right? right. The person who leads the company. Yeah. Um, they dismissed people that were on medical leave, not even telling them that in some cases that, uh, you know, letting them find out through the media that, right. uh, that there were big layoffs. Their layoffs, so, yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I, 
it, it's uh and then you know like you said i think the one unfortunate thing is the stock price went up after mm -hmm. uh this round of layoffs and and so that's indicative as well what were your thoughts uh, similar and actually it reminds me of um i think it was maybe about a year and a half ago uh where google did all of those tremendous layoffs and folks were finding out you know um through media mm. or social media and getting texts or emails at like 2 a.m um that they no longer were going to be able to log back on to their work emails and so it's not the same but it sounds very like grossly similar so so um yeah well you know wayfair um we'll see what happens i don't purchase furniture from them but i know many people who do um and so we'll see what happens here um, yeah. All right, folks. Yeah, do you purchase from Wayfair? I was trying to think. And I, I think that they own like you. You purchase furniture from Article. No, they're like a modern furniture. So I think I bought some stuff from there. Not anymore, though. My furniture is from inherited from my parents. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are. <laughs> well, folks, that's it for the deets. We'll be right back with our guests, Farad Ali and Christian Heyman. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Welcome back, folks. This week on Inclusive Collective, we welcome co-founders of Ali Heyman, Farad Ali and Krishan Heyman. Farad, a longtime business person and civic leader dedicated to building community, economic development, and unity. Krishan, having a tenured com career committed to promoting diverse business leadership and community, has spent his tenured career as executive search professional serve, um, serving top-tier PE and VC-backed established and emerging growth companies. They're um, not only their companies, but their CEOs, HR leaders, and other key executives. Together, Farad and Krishan formed Ali Heyman's. Their mission is to build communities by deliberately introducing networks that might not normally be connected hmm. as a means to drive economic equity, growth, and prosperity across diverse groups and historically unincluded populations. Welcome, Farad and Krishan, to Inclusive Collective this week. Hey, thank you. Thank Happy you for having here. us. Christian. Yeah, Christian and Farad, pleasure to meet you. So great. Uh, thanks for, uh, for being with us here on Inclusive Collective. Uh, I flipped a coin. Farad, I'm going to start with you. Um, you both, I'm told, have a passion for networking and for community building. Can you tell us the story of how the two of you got together? What was the gap that you were observing in the market uh, that you wanted to close and, and why you felt working together was the best way to do it? Yeah, that's a complex question, but I'm going to try to answer it in a way that some people can understand it. Okay. We were blessed to have met um, serving the community, actually working with the American Heart Association. Christian was a leader inside of the, on the board, focused on recruiting people to come on the board. 
to serve as ambassadors for the American Heart Association. I mean, he had a heart event in his family that got him passionate about that. Um, and I kind of joined the board differently. I kind of came on the board from a standpoint of a health equity. I had, it, um, I had a previous thought that cancer was the biggest killer of people, um, particularly people of color. Mm -hmm. I later learned that it was heart disease. And then I also learned that um, African-American women were dying faster than any group do because of heart disease. Um, and that really, as a community person, it really focused on making sure that we had economic equity. I recognized that there was no health, there was no wealth. Mm -hmm. And so we can't build our community's health profile. We can't build their uh, economic profile. And so I got active in that space. Um, and at that, that time, we got a chance to become... Um, fast friends. And um, from that point on, here we are today. That's great. I love that story. I love how um, a common mission or value brought you folks together. Um, so fun fact is I do want to get into the the the, the business that you, fo you folks formed, but I, I do want to do a disclaimer. Um, I had the good fortune of going to undergrad with Krishan so our friendship has been over 20 years now, maybe 20 plus years. Oh, like 25, <laughs> um, 20, so yeah, 25 plus. Maybe 25. What's... We're we're old. Yeah, <laughs> um, anyways, I know, um, Krishan, I know you as, you know, a connector, even, you know, your days on campus, you were always introducing, connecting people um, from, you know, a spiritual meeting to a rugby practice to an acapella concert that I went to many a times. Um, so I can attest that you, you know, you're a, a people person and it's really cool to see you doing the work that you're doing. Um, so I'm not surprised that the majority of your career has been focused on matching successful executives to VC firms in various industries. So, you know, we hear the statistics. C-suites in corporate America are still disproportionately white. Um, they're male. Um, there's a severe underrepresentation of women, black and Hispanic Latino executives. Um you know, and of course, we know that the U.S. workforce is diverse. So where in the pipeline, from your perspective, do you see where the problem may be? Um, it's a loaded question. No, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's such a good question. So um, I've, right, I've been doing executive recruiting and, like you said, matching people for a really long time. And I had this moment and Farada was kind of the first person I called. I said, you know, I'm trying to figure out this, uh, this inclusion thing, right? And I don't have 100 people to work for me or 1,000 people to work for me. I do this thing called executive recruiting, but I'm finding that at the end of the, the search, the person who's normally hired is a white male. So how do I get more people into the pipeline so that at the end, there's just more of an opportunity for a non-white male to be hired? And the idea was we just have to be, again, very, very intentional about how do we introduce more people into the pipeline so as the pipeline goes along, there's you know, a, a few more um, people of color or, or people that are or female or whatever it may be so that our clients can actually have a truly diverse pool of candidates to choose from. And the, the, the way I explain it is like, I'm like a fisherman. I like put my net down on one side of the boat and I pull up a catch and that's my catch. And, and for years and years and years, people have been very, um, uh, I, I've, I've caught a lot of really good fish, right? Wow, you've got a great network. But my problem is that network has been predominantly white for the last 15 years. So how do I come to fraud and say, fraud, can you put your net down on this side? And now we have two nets We're bringing, as opposed to getting my fishing rod and like trying to fish a candidate so my search looks diverse when it's really not. And so we decided we would influence the very, the, the, 
the candidate pool. And then what would happen is more candidates would get introduced and meet our clients. And then over time, it would be a numbers game. The more people we introduce, the more opportunities they have, the more people get hired. Yeah. And, and, and how do you do that? Right. So, so how do you, how do you grow that pool? Right. So I, I know that a lot of companies, not just in the VC industry, pretty much everywhere are, are struggling with that. So, uh, so what, 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 uh, what do you have to do to actually uh, make that pool a little bit bigger? Yeah, I'll, I'll give my perspective and then Farad jump in. I, I think it's um, it's intentional, right? Like, you know, you I don't want to uninclude you, Rob. Like, you still should have an opportunity to interview for this job, but so should Nadia oh. and so should Farad. So it's being intentional about that. But it's also at the other end. Like, I realized through some soul searching and through some white ally training, understanding things like white privilege and being where I grew up, like, I have access to people that just don't know. Like they just, they all think they're hiring the best people. And the answer is they're hiring mm. the best people they know, but they're not necessarily right. hiring the best people. So how do I create access to these private equity firms, Blackstone and BlackRock and Apollo and Carlisle and GHO with people like Nadi and Fraud? They're going, whoa, like sort of where did they come from? The answer is from a network that you weren't, you didn't have access to. And now you have access to this network too. Now they're going, okay, now we see what you guys are doing because now you're bringing us the truly best group of candidates. So Farad, I'd love to pass it over to you, but that's kind of our, our goal is to increase the, the talent pipeline, but then have the access over here that are willing to meet the people that we want them to meet. Yeah. And you know, this kind of keeping it real. It's like people do business with people they know. Mm. Um, and let's not, you know, when you go to the grocery store, people, you know, you know to the <laughs> yep. the social facilities, the people do business with people they know. And if you know a person that's insurance, you're probably going to do buy your insurance from them. If you know a person in banking, you're probably going to do banking. I mean, let's just talk about human nature. So people not only do people do business with people they know, they do big, do business with people they like. Mm. And if I like you, Rob, you know, and I know you and you are doing something, typically I may want to ride, ride with you. Right. And so mm -hmm. that's what you typically see in our work. But the last part is what it's a real big thing. And now, now we've got new words for them, unconscious bias and all these other languages. Mm -hmm. People do business with people they trust. And um, we have issues of trust mm. in our communities. And, um, and those issues are varied. And they actually deal with issues around inclusion mm -hmm. and inclusiveness. And so what we're trying to do is to break down those three areas. Like we want people to know each other. We want people to like each other, but if they don't, at least they know each other. And then ultimately they get close enough to be able to trust one another because what makes anything work in the world is an endorsement. So I don't know Nadia, but you know, I'm sitting here talking to her. She's like, well, Christian's my friend. That's a level of trust that goes up. Hey, guess what? He was there when I had a dark moment. Another level of trust. I saw that he was confident. Uh, another thing is that he respected me as a woman. Uh, that's another level of trust. Mm -hmm. So those, those are the things I don't have to go through an experiential feeling about because I got the endorsement from someone who was allied by it. And so the best thing I can do is either believe it or not. And then if I believe it and he meets that test, then he becomes a friend who I know, like, and trust. Well, guess what? In anything in business, I find out the people who know, like, and trust the people they work with, do business with, and celebrate with. And we want to create those environments that are more diverse. Fred, that's a really great point. And I'm curious, too, because you've done a lot of work in, like, the civic leadership. Um, you said economic development. Um, 
you know, I think of even like your your political career that you've had. I'm curious, like what are you we're we're starting to see specifically in America, like the the landscape is shifting where you have CEOs and some executives kind of pushing back on DE&I, particularly the initiative. So that might impact recruiting. Um, what are kind of your thoughts on that or what impacts are you seeing across the board, if any? Yeah. I've looked, <laughs> so Christian's heard this story over and over again. It's amazing in America how we do this. We take ourselves through these um, digestive system or these dialysis of, of unnecessariness, right? We don't need to go through another dialysis, but it seems like America will go through it again. So we've done this long time ago. When we let women vote. Why should women vote? We're going through this issue. Then women vote and then women get in office and then they become executives and lead. Then we went through this for why should we let people of color vote? Then they become voting people. Then we they end up leading. And then we did this in sports. I don't know if you remember, uh, but at one time there were no black people playing basketball. Wow. <laughs> at one time there were no people of color playing baseball mm. or tennis or rugby or lacrosse, and I can go on and all hockey. Mm -hmm. But guess what? They found a way because people are talented, no matter what color or creed or racial or economic social background they come from, but they're talented and people wanted to win. And I believe a lot of that was incented by people who had courage and people who had the, the ability to see that where they are today, what got them here won't get them there. Mm -hmm and that they had to create a new formula for mm -hmm. success. But in doing that, they had to also be uh, courageous enough to let go of something. And right now, people are becoming more protective of whatever they have <clears throat> because the lack of shared prosperity in America is ridiculous. And the fact that we're even trying to protect something that we cannot stop because diversity is more than real because people are doing things that make themselves diverse either by orientation, by color, by content, by character, or by zip code. And people are all merging together. So I don't know why we have to go through this dialysis again, but hopefully we will see that the current balance sheet says this, but the pro forma says if you want to be successful, you're going to have to do these other things to ensure that other people and I think that's where we have the opportunity to embrace it. And we're going to need people who are different persuasions, colors, creed, orientation to embrace um, knowing, liking, and trusting different people. Yeah, I love that. Uh, thanks, Farad. Uh, Christian, I, I was thinking about what Farad said earlier, and, and I trusted you immediately when Nadia said that you organized acapella groups. I was That, that raised you. <laughs> right to the very top of my list. But um, talk, talk about, so then the, the, the landscape for talent, right? So I mean, you, you do all this work to get people in, uh, bring, uh, you know, quote unquote, diverse folks into an organization. Um, but oftentimes organizations aren't able to retain them. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I don't know if that's good for you, uh, if, if, there's a, if there's a revolving door and you have to fill those roles again. But, you know, what do you, what do you think about in terms of uh, or do you think about the fit and, uh, you know, long-term prospects of folks that you're bringing together? Uh, you know, what are the things that people can do to make sure they're retaining uh, folks that may look different from from who they've normally recruited? Yeah. 
Yeah, great question. It's it's um it's sort of catastrophic when you place an executive and they leave, whether they're blue, black, purple, or green. Like the level I'm playing at, like these are people that are coming in and mm. so they're relocating. It's it's a big deal to not have that um, play out. It's interesting. You you use the word fit, um, which is a, a recruiting term that everybody uses. And I told Farad this about three years ago. Um, someone challenged me to like write down every time I use that word, and it was like in the hundreds. And so now. Fantastic. I use the word add because I think it's this weird thing you say kind of as a colloquialism, but what, what you're like unintentionally doing is thinking, well, if you leave Rob and I'm trying to find someone that's a fit, I'm going to fit somebody into your role. If you want someone to add mm -hmm. to your organization, um, you're going to find somebody that looks a little bit different. And so I think for us, we would love to get to a place where we would kind of have this street cred to be like, we're not even going to recruit for you until you tell us how you're going to accept and acquire this person, set them up with a person to make sure they're successful. Right now, we're doing it more qualitatively, like we're working with CEOs and boards that we know care about this stuff. And I'll dovetail back into the, the fraud question. Like, I think what's happening at a national level is just heartbreaking. Like all these programs we're doing so well are being yanked up because a bunch of white people are just scared what's going to happen. But for us, our friends are doubling down. They're saying, we don't like we've always, we're going to keep on caring about this and we're going to care more even than we did before. And so I think we would love to get to a place where the companies that we worked with and we would just turn down searches. Like you had just have a bad track record of hiring diverse talent. And so until you fix that, we're just not going to work with you. Um, and that would be a cool thing to be able to get there. Right now, we know people care about it. And so we feel good about placing people there. But I could see that coming up in the next year or two. We just say, we're just not going to recruit for you because, you know, we're not going to put a token black person on your board or in your ELT and just have them not feel welcomed and successful. Mm. That makes me feel really optimistic about the, about the future, to be honest with you. So I appreciate you mentioning that. Um, so what is the future of Ali Heyman? So if you were to um, what are you folks working on right now? Um, what's the what's kind of the future hold for you all? <clears throat> I mean, the future is exciting. We, we've uh, we been having some gatherings here every Friday morning and the connectivity we're seeing among people that normally wouldn't have crossed paths is, I mean, I, I would say like truly exceptional. I don't use that term lightly. Like just in the last seven months, just with our little, like Nadia, I consider you like inner, inner circle, right? Like you're my inner circle. We haven't even gone like out like this and the connectivity we're mm -hmm. seeing among the mayor and the governor and this person and that person, like, we're really bringing together people. Um, and so I think the future for us is to continue to do that and then give people this bug of like, you know, when you work alongside people that look different than you, like you're just enriched, like you're just, it's just an enriching thing for you and our community and all the prosperity that comes. So our goal is to make the triangle a, a destination for people of all backgrounds and all races and creeds, and they come and feel welcome. There's a place for them. There's a, places to eat, hang out, chill out. That's our long-term kind of goal for what we're trying to do. Farad, what would you say? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think about my dad. We talked around it's important to understanding that this is not about the black race, the white race, the Asian race, the Hispanic race. It's about the human race. And if we can really build out people to understand it's the human race that we need to be helping to incentivize, encourage, build, and that there is this, this is not a game when there's a win loss, but it's a win win. And if we can be um, 
agents or catalysts for that. Hey, God be the glory. I mean, we, you know, hopefully we can be told good, well done, good and faithful servants. That's our goal. I love that. Thank you. Well, we'll end on that note. Um, and I, I do hope that you folks will consider coming back to share kind of the, the great work that you're doing um, in the future. Uh, but thank you so much for for joining us on Inclusive Collective this week, Farad Ali and Krishan Heyman. Thanks for putting a spotlight at this, Nods. And Rob, thank you. Hey, thank you so much for having us. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back for our Con Reflections and Raves and Rants. <laughs> Welcome back to Inclusive Collective. Just finished our conversation with Farad Ali and Christian Heyman. Nadia, had your friends on. What, what's, I know. What's, or, it's always, yeah, it's what, always what, so fun to have friends on. <laughs> what did you take away that you didn't already know from our conversation? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, I, I definitely know a lot of recruiters. I, w- I would say not necessarily that high executive level of leadership. Um, so it's interesting to get Krishan's take and perspective. And then I think just in general, you know, Farad has this background, um, civic community development um he he we didn't mention this on the podcast but he is um he does work in um esg as well as dei at point b mm. um and, and so is very in tune with kind of organizational dei practices yeah so just i feel like really good work that they're doing there but remind me is there someone else that we that ha- that does this type of work that we've spoke to we recently spoke to uh, Kyle Samuels of Creative Talent Endeavors as well, That's right. and I know, and and so I think they operate in different spaces, but uh, there's definitely uh, similarities in terms of just having a very broad network, being focused on bringing uh, you know folks that are underrepresented in different industries into uh, into some of these executive leadership roles. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I really, I really enjoyed the conversation. Really enjoyed the fact or just the, the story that they told how they came together. And then, the, you know, that Christian realized that he didn't necessarily have the ability to, as he say, cast a net or a wide enough net and needed to expand his own network. And that's where the partnership really uh, came together to make sense. And so really, really Absolutely. cool that they're working together and, and it seems like they're doing, going to be doing some great stuff in the future. Yeah. And, you know, when you ask that question of like, how do you do it? I love the response from Christian in particular around his self-reflection on the white privilege that he has and kind of just that awareness building um, and, and really kind of learning and kind of maybe, you know, dismantling some assumptions or stereotypes that he had previously. So, um, yeah, really appreciate, uh, you know, Krishan and uh, uh, Farad for joining us this week. Um, so thanks. Thanks for that. It is time for rants and raves, Rob. It's time for mostly rants with Nadia. <laughs> the world is testing me these days, I, Rob. So here's what we're going to do. We got a few. Okay. I know you got a like a few yep. rants lined up for us. Yep. And I don't even know all of them that are coming at me. So I'm just going to let you go and okay. and and, uh, and kind of jump in as appropriate. Okay, so I'm going to keep this as informative as possible, but brief since we aren't full on deets here. Um, but one, Greg Poole, a school district superintendent in the state of Texas, is defending his um, decision to repeatedly suspend a black student for wearing his natural hair and locks, taking out a full-page newspaper ad in the Houston Chronicle with the support of a local education foundation. Poole explained his rationale for suspending Daryl George, age 17, by saying, quote, being an American requires conformity with the positive benefit of unity, end quote. 
Number two, the South Florida Muslim Federation is upset after a hotel canceled the group's conference days before the scheduled event. People were scared that the event would spread anti-Semitism. Merit management heard enough to act. However, the response triggered cries of racism. The Federation represents all mosques in the region to promote unity and support both Muslim and non-Muslim communities. Last year, the group partnered with the Miami Heat for Muslim Night. Um, during an NBA game, the Federation also hosted a forum with law enforcement in 2020. Starting in 2023, the group began hosting a conference at the Marriott in Coral Springs, the same Marriott. Number three, Kite Baby, a children's clothing company brand, is facing criticism for the way it handled one employee's request to remotely work while her newborn son was treated in the NICU. The founder and CEO, Yulu, I may enunciate that wrong, I apologize, went to TikTok to issue an apology to the employee, which received more than 2 million views, drew criticisms from some TikTok users who characterized it as inauthentic and not going far enough to support the employee. Shortly after posting the first video, she went back and posted a second video on TikTok in which she acknowledged the first apology was scripted and wasn't sincere, quote, unquote. (laughs) She explained in the second video that she was the leader who vetoed the employee's request to work remotely while her son was in the NICU saying, I own 100% of that. She did some other things. Insert my eye roll. Go check out the story. Finally, the last rant I have, Oscar nominations are out. The socials are in hysteria that neither Greta Gerwig nor Margaret Robbie were nominated. Some called it a snub, while Ryan Gosling, who played Ken, was nominated. From what I gather, those folks are upset that these two white women didn't get nominated, especially when the plot and premise of Barbie is that of feminism and such. What was telling for me were two things. One, nobody really gave any credit or gave a shit that the very talented America Ferrer, an American Latina who literally gave the famous monologue in the movie, Barbie, is very deserving of this nomination. And we should recognize that. And yet we also forgot about her. So the other thing, number two, is that I will quote journalist Sana Saeed on this quote, and peril feminism is an entire discourse angry about two white women not getting enough nominations for a doll commercial while staying silent on U.S. funding and supporting a genocide, killing two Palestinian mothers every hour, starving girls and causing a 300 percent increase in miscarriages, end quote. But it's all about perspective, right, Ralph? Nadia, that was that was truly a rant. That was that was that was the definition of a rant. I I I also want to push back on the people being upset around uh, the Barbie nominations as well, because I. You know, I a lot of the men that I know that went to see the movie, they said that Ken really was the best part and really held the movie together. What? I, I'm kidding. <laughs> That's a joke. Yeah, you know, I do feel like I, I do feel like there's a case to be made for the director because within a non-gender specific category, four of the five directors nominated were men. Yep. Sure. Cool. Sure. Like uh, that's an argument there. Yeah. But for Margot Ro- Robbie, who is less so because that's a it's a best actress category, right? Mm-hmm. Like there are five other actresses nominated. Yes. So tell me which of those are non-deserving, right? Yeah. So you want to throw them out uh, because uh, Barbie is really important to them. So, and I'm also a little bit stuck on the first story. I was I, like, you went through the whole thing, yeah. And I was thinking about that first story, <laughs> yeah. About how like a person in Texas actually said that America requires. Conformity? Being an American requires conformity, <laughs> conformity? with the positive benefit like, of unity. You're in Texas. Like the whole thing is about is like, conformity. Is not conform is like yeah, we yeah. hate everything, right? We don't want to do anything, <laughs> right? Like it doesn't make That's any true. sense. That's true. They push back on everything. They push you're back right. on yeah. everything. Like yeah, yeah, that yeah. person is the least Texan of any person that I've ever met. <laughs> yeah. And um and I I did not have a rave, but I was thinking of you as I was working out this morning. I was going to the uh the F forty five. 
You know, you're familiar, right? F45, did a little workout this morning. And, okay. you know, we talked about the uh, Muslim runner being taken out of the Lululemon ads. And F45, the big company has, uh, they've, they've redone their, some of the promotional materials. And uh-huh. right at the very center is a, uh, is a hijab wearing uh, athlete. And okay. she's leading all the different exercises right front and center. And so, and you know who owns cool. F45, right? Who? It's Mackie Mack, you know? Is so it like, Marky yeah. Mack? That is Mack. hilarious. Right? right? So yeah. oh good on you, Mackie Mack. Good for... on you, Mackie. Thank you, Mack. <laughs> I thought you'd like that. I love that. Well, you know what? Thanks for, for that. That was a good rave to, uh, to wrap up uh, this episode. Well, folks, that's it for Inclusive Collective. Just a reminder that if you're looking for DE&I and workplace culture, strategy, consulting, problem solving, or training, you can reach out to me at nadiaknazconsultants.com and Rob at TopanoConsulting.com. Inclusive Collective is a production of Refilling on Media and edited by Ari Mathay. We'd love to hear from you folks, so please go ahead and send us your feedback at inclusivecollective at refilling.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Be sure to, to follow us on LinkedIn. Um, if you like what you heard, please also be sure to subscribe and rate us five stars. And thanks again to our guests, Farad Ali and Krishan Heyman. We'll be back next week. Thanks, folks. Be well. Thanks, Nadia. Thank you.